just because sometimes you're not feeling well about how hard it is to parent, which can be really drudgerous, routine, boring, that doesn't mean you don't love your child. These two, two things, uh, ostensibly contradictory, can be true. Two things can be true at the same time. Hi friends. Today's topic, commonly known as postpartum depression, but more accurately called postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, as I realized in my interview, is one that I feel is quite important for mothers and mothers-to-be to hear, but also for the female or male partners of these women as their supporters or accompaniers of their journey with the actual pregnancy and the birth of their child or children. Although it mainly affects the mother who gives birth, the condition can also appear in men, as well as adoptive parents, though it's not as common. PP Mads, although it isn't something that I've dealt with personally, is a topic I wish to bring to the forefront, as I think that there are a lot more women out there who deal with it more than we think, and there is a lot of shame in talking about it. One may ask, what exactly is PP Mads? Clinicians and researchers use the term to refer to non-psychotic depression that occurs shortly after childbirth. It is a serious mood disorder that affects women. In the first episode in this series, we'll start with the first of three interviews, starting with some important information to know about the condition. Ms. Rosa Caparici, a psychotherapist at the Monklin Professional and Medical Center in NDG, was gracious enough to accept my interview request, not only to give us the facts, but also to share her own testimonial with me and now with you all. So let's hear from her. So today I am speaking to Ms. Rosa Caporici. I'm saying your name right? Caporici, yes. Perfect. And who is a psychotherapist working at the Monkland Professional and Medical Center in NDG. So welcome. Thank you for joining this discussion. Thank you for having me. So before we begin about the technical, I always like to kind of get ask a few questions to my guests just to get to know them uh, and for the, everybody else to get to know them. So I, I wanted to know what to, brought you on to being here because I, I know I have your bio that you sent me and that you changed at one point uh, in your education. You took a turn and you went into, you know, from excuse me, journalism, mm -hmm. and you were in film and communications at McGill, and then you ended up going into counseling psychology, and now you're, you're here with uh, postpartum. So tell me about that. So I like to joke that I've, I have a checkered past, <laughs> and that it took me uh, 44 years to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, but all kidding aside, I, I do uh, feel very strongly and believe that there is a, an arc or a trajectory that links up all of my academic studies and uh, okay. professional experience. And the, the three large themes and the final missing link was helping. The, the first two were communication, so talking to people, and uh, then education, which is part of the work as a psychotherapist, not, not didactic in the same way that a, a, a pedagogical teacher is, uh, but providing psychoeducational information. 
Okay. And as I said, what it took me a while to figure out was that my skills and talents lie uh, in helping others learn how to help themselves. Mm. And I chose uh, this area of specialization. It was inspired uh, by my uh, firsthand personal experience. Um, so I specialize in reproductive mental health and more specifically uh, preconception, anything before, during, and after a pregnancy and pregnancy or neonatal loss. So I'm um, the mother of three living children, but I've had four um, pregnancies or second to last uh, child was uh, lost to a pregnancy interruption uh, after learning of a chromosomal abnormality and we terminated that pregnancy at uh, 18 weeks gestation. I'm so uh, sorry. sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. And this was uh, 20 years ago. I was 18 weeks along and uh, I, I labored and delivered that baby. Um, wow. So I, it was, um, and that's something I'm also passionate about in, in helping people grieve <laughs> pregnancy and uh, baby loss, which is very much misunderstood. Um, so remembering those experiences and how how I white knuckled it, as I often say, with very few resources available, uh, I yeah. just became very passionate about um, trying to ensure that other families are not also bereft and struggling with challenging times without support. You know, yeah. people often misunderstand that it, it is uh, happened in the past and it's forgotten, but, but grief is permanent. So lear learning to live with grief is a very arduous uh, task and not something that people should be left alone to figure out by themselves. Um, you know, there's nothing to fix uh, grief, but what is very healing is to feel accompanied in that. Mm -hmm. And accompanied means not, um, you know, help, help is not saying the right thing and necessarily doing anything other than listening which is hard for most of us to do, to just tolerate you know, psychic pain. Right. But yeah. I do love how you say, how you make this distinction between, uh, you know, fixing and accompanying. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people who are around people who are struggling with uh, mental illness always feel helpless and get frustrated and then it can be uh, very difficult on the person who's actually going through the process even more mm -hmm. and they always feel like their responsibility is to fix you but all we all you want is for the person to accompany you on the journey yes, it's very very important to make that distinction so I'm, I'm really I'm really gr um, grateful that you brought that up yes especially you know when in the domain of um, maternal paternal well, maternal mental health, uh, where we frame it only as a joyous, blissful event. Uh, but what is also um, under the radar and part of why I do what I do, because we have to uh, train a spotlight on this, uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders are the number one medical complication related to childbearing. Number wow. one. Number one higher than rates of gestational diabetes and other medical um, pregnancy related medical conditions yet it is it is too often under under diagnosed and under treated 
I'm really shocked to hear this. I'm I, that's a that is a piece of information that I had no idea about, and it it if that's the first number one reason for any complications at post birth, it's and it hasn't really been you know dealt with or like or talked about as much as is needed or addressed. It just goes to show how these stigmas on mental health are just not you know we need to break the the norm with all of this. Yes. Wow. Certainly the, the stigma related to um, motherhood, which is mm -hmm. another, another major pet peeve uh, of mine. But yeah, and all too often when I ask clients, was your mental health part of your prenatal care? And more often than not, the answer is no. Right. Part of that is due to um, you know, the, the time constraints that uh, physicians and specialists have in, in treating uh, in prenatal care, and part of it, I think, is a, a lack of education. That this is very prevalent. It's the numbers are high. One in six to seven uh, women experience um, yeah. PMDs or postpartum or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Yes, I believe I had read somewhere that it was about one in five or one in six in Canada. Yeah. 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 So, and similarly, one in six uh, couples in Canada experience issues related to fertility. Oh, so okay. Reproductive mental health um, is very much under the radar, d despite its prevalence. Okay, well, thank you very much for being open about your story. So, the first question I want to ask, and you know, it's something that we've heard on sitcoms or just talked about when people say, oh yeah, you have the baby blues, and so what exactly are the, is the distinction between baby blues and postpartum disorder? Mm -hmm. So uh, baby blues, on uh, average, a vast majority of new mothers, upwards of 80%, experience this transient period during the first two or three weeks postpartum where there are wild fluctuations in mood. Women often say, I'm happy one second and then miserable or irritable the next. Those symptoms resolve, tend to resolve on their own after a two to three week period. If those symptoms, and they can be anything ranging from sadness, hopelessness, a sense of inadequacy, irritability, restlessness, if they persist beyond the two to three week period, we raise a red flag and um, assess for a possible postpartum okay. Uh, issue. Okay. Um, so why why there is why most women experience baby blues? Uh, they experts don't have a strict answer, but we believe it in, it, it involves in part uh, the wild uh, hormonal fluctuations that occur right at, right after birth. Right, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And exactly how long uh, normally does postpartum depression last? Well, we say, and, and I want to be, uh, that's also important. Um, you know, it's a mis misnomer to speak of postpartum depression. We use a more global term, which is okay. postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, because there's a spectrum. It's not just depression. It can manifest and present itself as anxiety, obsessional, uh, compulsive behavior, uh, bipolar disorder, all the way to the extreme, which is postpartum psychosis. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's much more broad and it can occur anytime during the first year um, after having a baby. 
Okay, so it, it, it's possible that it could start eight months after. Yes. Maybe. Okay, okay. Yeah. However, with respect to psychosis, which is the most extreme um, presentation, it usually that usually happens. The onset is quite uh, usually quite rapid within the first uh, few days or weeks. Okay. So less likely to appear months later. As Rosa said, there are in fact several types of postpartum depression that range in severity of symptoms. The types of postpartum depression include mainly the postpartum blues, which she spoke about, postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD, as she mentioned, and includes disturbing thoughts of images of harm coming to the baby or uncontrollable fear or worry of being left alone with the baby, postpartum panic disorder, which shows physical symptoms such as racing heart, tightening chest, hyperventilation, dizziness, weakness, and other extreme symptoms, postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder that can result from a trauma that occurred during childbirth or even afterwards, and postpartum psychosis, a rare and severe disorder that is characterized by drastic changes in symptoms from agitation and anxiety to memory loss and confusion, as well as even hallucinations and disinterest in one's own baby. What can you tell me about the classic signs and symptoms of postpartum depression? And I'm asking this in terms of, you know, asking out of just knowing informationally, but also for people who are around people who have postpartum, mm -hmm. maybe they can also look out for these and, you know, try and help, you know, their friend or their, or their family members. So what can you tell us about that? So just to be on the lookout for yourself or if you are a partner or a family member of, of a, a new, uh, new mother to after the first two to three weeks, if uh, she is complaining of uh, restlessness, inability to sleep, hyper arousal, not able to relax even when the opportunity presents itself, rumination, having thoughts spinning around and around uh, in her head, um, or feelings of um, deep sorrow, uh, feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness. Um, those, if there are sudden changes in appetite, um, sleep disturbance, and I know uh, <laughs> sleep deprivation is, is minimized um, in the postpartum period because uh, you can expect not to sleep, so, so to speak, but uh, even when there are opportunities to, as I said, rest or sleep and the person is not able to, that's another uh, symptom. Mm -hmm. Certainly one of the most concerning symptoms if, is if the person is having thoughts of doing, um, of harming uh, herself. That is a major um, indication that, that help is required. And we don't mess around with that. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's important that the, the person receive treatment as soon as possible. What is the type, what are the type of people that normally have, uh, are, are prone to having, uh, maybe if, if anything, if they are even, if there isn't even a predisposition mm -hmm. or a condition that would mm -hmm. be more common to have PP, right. postpartum anxiety and mood disorder. Yes. I want to yeah. say it right. <laughs> I'm going to change the title of my uh, of my episode. Definitely. I would love yes. to, I, I want to say it right. But yes, please go on. 
Well, I appreciate that because uh, we, we cannot um, cope with something if we, do, if we don't name it uh, correctly. So I, I refer to it as PMADS, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So any, any normal person can, can suffer uh, from this, but certainly like as uh, with respect to any mental health issue, uh, looking at it from a within a biopsychosocial model, we think about the person's uh, family history. If there is a history of depression, anxiety, or other mental health issues, that is um, a risk factor. Mm -hmm. uh, if the person, even if he or she has never been diagnosed, if they are have a, a history of being more on the anxious side than not, or have been struggling with low mood, that's a risk factor. And I want to be clear too, risk factors don't, um, are not causation, meaning that if you have these things, then you are inevitably going to suffer from them. That's not, not the case, but things to pay attention to. So if there's a, a family history, certainly their person's uh, psychological make, makeup, their, their um, nature, and then, <clears throat> pardon me, um, environmental stressors. So are there issues uh, coming to bear on the person that is making the postpartum period that much more challenging, i.e. Um, intimate partner issues, relational issues, um, you know, housing, um, lack of resources, lack of support. All of these are possible risk factors to consider uh, during the pregnancy and following. And perinatal so during the pregnancy as well um, mood and anxiety issues are uh, as uh, also extremely important to um, to consider pregnancy is not a joyful uh, necessarily a joyful event for everyone especially when you consider upwards of half of pregnancies are n neither planned uh, or des sometimes desired wow okay yeah <laughs> that's a, a, a large, uh, very big commitment for somebody who wasn't even thinking that. So I think just the stress of that is 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 one thing. And yes, of course, I I do think just the energy and the vibe of everything around us as well. It it doesn't it it affects us all the time, on on many levels. So if uh, but I did hear, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I did hear that also partners. And adoptive parents can also have postpartum. Really? Yes. Partners, yeah. I could see it. Mm -hmm. um, and normally, what? And but adoptive, I was wondering, you know, how that would come through. So, how would you how would you describe the impact that it could have on a on a partner and how they would have PMADS? Yes, friends, it actually is true. My research showed that while postpartum depression mainly affects the mother. Fathers may also exhibit signs of paternal postpartum depression. This condition can come on more gradually in men within the first 12 months of a child's life as opposed to women who experience it much sooner. While men may cope with their symptoms differently than women, postpartum depression in men pr produces similar symptoms. These include depression, guilt, lack of sleep, loss of interest in social or other activities, and difficulty concentrating on tasks. Men may also experience feelings of irritability, frustration, and can at times even exhibit violence and angry behaviors. In adoptive parents, 
Well, research has shown that this is often has to do with the unmet expectations that adoptive parents place on themselves or the child when the baby or child is placed in their home. Often, adoptive parents feel that they do not get the same support from friends and family and, and society as birth parents would expect. All of these factors contribute to an emotional state that can become depression resembling BPD, or actually PMADS as we now know it. Babies are beautiful, but they're also bundles of stress <laughs> for, the, for the new parent. Uh, they are, that, that transition, that um, adaptation and adjustment to parenthood is a major stressor because the learning curve is very steep, happens um, in a very sudden manner, even though we can say 40 weeks gestation, uh, you know, you, you had plenty of time per, to prepare, but, but, but nothing prepares you for the shock of your new world, your new life, your new couple, if you're in a couple. Um, and that, that is the same for adoptive parents. That adaptation to the demands of parenthood our, our, um, whether it's a biological child or not, or mm -hmm. uh, it's immaterial. Okay. Uh, so that same transition exists, whether uh, with respect to having a biological child or having um, um, in welcoming an adoptive child or a baby. For somebody who is going through, whether it is baby blues or, uh, you know, something more serious with postpartum, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that it is especially difficult for women to be open about it yes. because of that whole, like we were talking about that whole stigma that, Oh, you know, childbirth is this wonderful thing. And a lot of these women, they feel, they feel guilty. They feel guilty for the way that they, they feel about their children. They feel uh, ashamed and they just kind of, and like many mental illness, um, there's a big, big chunk of shame on this, but I, I feel like this, this type of illness itself, the shame is it, not that, you know, it's more important than other mental illnesses, but because society has this, you know, big hold of, you know, we need to be mothers and we need to be strong and we need to be, to actually be able to come out and say, no, actually it's not that great. And, and this is what's really happening behind closed doors. What message would you have for somebody who is going through this and how do they get help? So I, I, I would um, like to um, make a, or a shout out to an organization um, I volunteer with uh, called Postpartum Support International. And their motto is, uh, this is not your fault. You didn't choose for this to happen. This is not a personality um, flaw or defect. Um, you are not alone, as, as I said, the rates are very high. More, more women suffer in silence than should be the case. And with help, this, uh, the person, you will get better. So this is treatable. Um, and so again, it's to, unfortunately, a lot of my work is in unraveling the uh, mythology uh, that is associated with with motherhood more specifically because the, the pressure on women is immense intense and much more so now than when I had uh, my first child 24 years ago 
uh, you know, the, the Instagram uh, version of motherhood is, is far too rampant and very unhelpful because the reality of parenthood is that it is a lot of hard work and especially in the first weeks and months, it's a lot of grunt work where a newborn uh, and young baby is not interacting with, uh, with parents as they do as they grow older. And I often ask my clients, when you imagine having children in your mind, in your, in your visions, how old were they? And more often than not, the, the answer is, well, you know what, come to think of it, I, I, was, I was thinking, well, they'd be, I was imagining me with my toddler or I was imagining me with my school-aged child. Um, so <laughs> if there's a disconnect there, um, yeah. but also we don't talk about the postpartum period realistically. And that, that also is a major pet peeve of, of mine. Mm. For instance, prenatal classes, they may be, give a passing um, you know, message about postpartum issues, but we don't frame it correctly. We, we, we still perpetuate this romanticized version of the baby bump and, and the bliss. Yeah. So when women, as we say, more, many more than people like to think, are experiencing symptoms related to PMADS, they feel ashamed um, and they, uh, they repress, they suppress what they're doing, they silent, they censor themselves, mm-hmm. which is completely part, part and parcel of, of the problem and um, why too often they go undetected and untreated. And unfortunately, when that happens, the chances of it becoming chronic, it, it increases. I see. Recently. And so the, the, the um, organization that you mentioned, could you please repeat that for our audience? Yeah, they're called Postpartum Support International. The website is very easy to remember, postpartum.net. Just think of a, a, a net catching you. Okay. You're falling. That's a really good. Uh, that's a really really good way of uh, remembering. Yeah, you're a fantastic organization, and I'm actually um, encouraging all my clients and, and new clients to avail themselves of their resources, which include a toll-free telephone support line, peer network, online support groups, and uh, I always tell my clients: inform yourself, educate yourself, along with family members, because insofar as the, the person who, the woman who comes to see me is the primary client, everyone in her inner circle are part of her recovery. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so that's the psychoeducational piece. And do you, do you think that, because you were mentioning that in perinatal classes, they don't really go in, they don't frame it well, do you think that they're, is some a movement or something that is is there something being worked on right now to really incorporate that because if if yeah. they don't talk about it in the class then i would find it even more difficult to yeah. be able to open up about it yeah yeah so they may make a again a passing remark but i think it's it's quickly pushed aside because there's this this a fear that they're they're going to scare parents but imagine those parents and mothers who months in or two months in are flailing and uh, completely bewildered with how they're feeling and don't know where to turn. 
uh, what to do, what are the resources, and that's very daunting. It, it, it places them in a, in a very comparable position when you're suffering to, you don't have the resources, the mental bandwidth to then search and advocate for yourself. So shouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense to provide that? Let's be honest about what parenthood is like and say, if this should happen, not it will happen, but should it happen, here are some resources for you to, to consider. And yes, prenatal classes, I, I feel, spend an inordinate amount of time talking about labor and delivery, which of course is, is important, but the real work happens when the baby arrives. Yeah. The fourth trimester we should be concerning ourselves with and equipping parents with the appropriate tools. Mm -hmm. And those tools include uh, the psycho, a discussion about the psychosocial stressors that are inherent in the transition to parenthood. Yes. Every single parent will undergo this to varying degrees. Not everyone will be suffer from a PMAD, be diagnosed with a PMAD, but everyone goes through that grueling process of adapting to parenthood. And it's not always, you know, traipsing through the tulips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, that's, that's a bandwagon, uh, you know, I try to uh, use a blowhorn, bullhorn with my clients. <laughs> we, we need to start talking about things yeah. honestly. We need to talk about them. And when it comes to mental issues, mental illness, people are just afraid. They're afraid yeah. and all it does is that it actually does more damage because you're not only doing damage to the person you're, you're judging, you're doing damage to their lives, their, the people around them. And yeah. It's, exactly. it's very, very, uh, it's very, very taxing. I had a lot of shame. I, I didn't talk about my uh, eating disorder for years uh, mm -hmm. until, and I think everything changed for me when I started being totally public about it and not hiding anything. And that was the way to go. So then I, I would have to say that, you know, I would encourage e even, and you can tell me if, uh, if this is a good move to make as somebody maybe who would, be with somebody who has postpartum or who is going through these emotions is to tell is to tell them you know it's okay it's okay exactly. be open let's talk about it they might not be equipped to handle mm -hmm. you know how to go about it but like you said there are organizations uh, such as yours as well I mean if somebody uh, that's another question that I had if somebody wants to actually be seen uh, by a psychotherapist or a psychologist what are the steps for example if we would talk about at your uh, at the medical center where you work how would somebody be able to to have uh, an appointment this way uh, nothing more complicated than uh, contacting me by phone email or text so no referral needed no referral is needed no you do not need a medical um referral so you're right in that it has a ripple effect and it um it, it kind of it infects the the entire um you know, system that the person is living in and uh, again the other thing i want to uh, tell your listeners is to please do not conflate the love you have for your child with the lack of appreciation that you may sometimes or frequently feeling in the job of parenting that is no it's okay it's normal just because sometimes you're not feeling well about how hard it is 
to parent, which can be really drudgerous, routine, boring, that doesn't mean you don't love your child. Mm -hmm. These two, two things, uh, ostensibly contradictory, can be true. Two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. It's all right. You, it, it's a normal reaction to a stressful, very stressful situation. And, and as human beings, we all experience challenging times. It's just that in our Western society in particular, particular we only value happiness, which is absurd. Yes. Uh, you know, especially if you consider what we're all dealing with right now in the pandemic. Yes, and ha happiness couldn't even exist if we didn't have the negative feelings. That, sorry, I even, and I even say negative feelings actually quite loosely because, yes, they're not pleasant feelings. It doesn't mean that these feelings are negative because we need all these feelings in order to be able to advance in life and to learn lessons in life and to feel happiness. Right. So it's it's just having that that balance. But there is this big fear when it comes to that, and people are uncomfortable and. You know, the, especially in the Western culture, like you say, it is, you know, it is, I, f I find it a shame. Um, I find it a, sh a shame that we're not as evolved. And this is why, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this project, which I know is not a big one, but everybody's, if everybody just pitched in and if everybody did a little part and everybody was curious, you know, about, about this, I think it could, you know, it could create some, some waves. Exactly. It's a, a ripple effect of another uh, kind. Yeah, a, a good one. A positive yeah, exactly. exactly. Touching the, you know, reaching out to one person and there, th that's how you, there's potential to create a momentum. Okay. And uh, we, we were talking about COVID. I'm, I'm wondering what, have you seen a change in your clients now because of co coronavirus? Are a lot of people concerned with the effect that it's going to have on, oh, on yeah. the baby and... Yeah. Yeah, so I'd have to say the, the demand for services has increased uh, exponentially since uh, the uh, the start of the pandemic in, in March. Um, though, again, uh, the writing was on the wall. Again, what I find extraordinarily frustrating is that uh, governments uh, and, and health ministries uh, are reactive and we're not proactive because how they imagined back in March that this would not uh, result in higher levels of anxiety and depression. Again, I guess the argument would be that uh, we're strapped, uh, resources are strapped, and, and we had uh, certain priorities, but now we're playing catch up. Yeah. Now we're throwing money and, oh, we need more mental health professionals. Well, obviously, to, to people like myself, that was obvious from the, the get go. It's about time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about time and uh, it, has, it doesn't have anything to do with the bottom line. It's much more important. So, yeah. And we, you know, again, if that, this pandemic teaches any, teaches us anything, it is the, um, the importance of social connection. We, we are social animals. We, we need to be with others yes. to feel well. I have actually, uh, uh, my friend who also has his po his podcast, his name is Bram Levinson. He always says, uh, we don't need social distancing. He goes, we need physical distancing, yes. not social. Okay. And, and this is a time where we all need to come together and join forces and, you know, just 
I, I've always, well, I haven't always said it, but in the recent years with the introspection and the work I've done for myself, uh, on myself, I've realized how much less pain there could be in the world if we all just realize that we're all connected, that we're all brothers and sisters, and that we just need to listen to each other instead of compete with each other and try to, you know, and listen to our egos and no, this is, that's just, that's not what life or the world is actually about, but we have just been tainted by, you know, centuries of all this, uh, all these uh, mentalities or these teachings that don't really, you know, now I'm, I'm happy that there are people who are recognizing it more, more and more, this kind of like new age way of thinking. Um, we still, I believe, have a long way to go, but I think that we're, we're on our way there and maybe we won't see it in our, our lifetimes a hundred percent, but the, what's important is, you know, to, to keep going on that. So right. yeah, to educate and to do outreach and advocacy. So yeah. I, and I can tell you, um, even in a, the span of 24 years, we have made gains. Um, it's just, as you said, you know, we're, we're less of a, co a collectivistic uh, society yeah. here in North America, but um, yeah, de de um, removing the stigma, there are many more efforts being made now than ever before. Okay. Well, Rosa, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for taking this moment, you know, to speak to me and to speak to my audience and uh, your your work that you're doing is so important and the empathy that you had when you were talking about uh, about everything and the care um it, it really glows and it, it shows and uh, i really really hope uh, to reach out to a lot of people like this and i'm so glad that i met you even though it's not in person because we have to stay away yes by the way everybody this is a zoom interview i am not uh, anywhere like i'm very very far from her it's not two meters uh, or less, trust me. Um, so thank you very much. Well, again, I, I uh, thank you for the opportunity and the pleasure has been all mine. And um, congratulations for all your good work. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. That's a wrap for this portion. I think that it was just really, really, well, first off, great to meet Rosa. And what I find wonderful is how she took her own path and she decided to give back and to help others because of what she went through. And just as I read in the book written by Sean Korn, Revolution of the Soul, one of her mentors said it, your pain becomes your purpose. And that's exactly what Rosa did. Her pain became her purpose. Our next episode on postpartum will be mm, in a couple of weeks. It will be with my good friend, Anna Ancheta, who will be talking about her testimonial. A very, very, very raw interview. I have to say, wow, I was blown away. Goosebumps all around. But in between, my next episode will be a special holiday episode that will be released on Saturday, December 19. So I hope you guys will listen in. And much love to you all and cannot wait to continue this series with you. All the best.